0: We're going to start with me and then go to you, okay?
1: Yeah, why don't we start with you and then go to me? <laughs> okay.
0: okay, my okay. name is Kent Dahlgren and this is...
1: Ruth Glendinning.
0: And we're going to talk about the Anti-Fragile Playbook.
1: Because we're anti-fragile and we want you to be too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, Ruth. Um, it's Kent.
1: Hey, Kent. It's Ruth. This worked out pretty well.
0: <laughs> no, it really did. It's the afternoon, uh, 27th of December. Um, and we had talked about, you know, we just did a podcast on um, uh, the first of seven phases or steps of the community activation and launch methodology because we're, you know, do- deploying a uh, a living laboratory in our own community. And we talked about outrage, and then and and we talked about the reasons for really digging into people's sense of anguish and trauma and and outrage. It's because you can you can root. As Ruth likes to say, the deeper you root, the higher you can rise. So we can root a vision, which is the second step, appropriately. And the intention, of course, is not to just band-aid a wound, but actually take care of the of the core injury, right? So um, in this one, we wanted to 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 pivot towards action. And and a lot of what we have talked about, the reason we emphasize forms of soft capital and, and other such things is because people don't recognize the assets that are, that are already available. You know, we've talked a lot about soft capital and things like that. So what we had, um, you know, aspired to do in this conversation is to talk about uh, the, the, um, I don't know how to put it, but the, uh, the um, uh, uh, abrasion, if you will, the, 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 delightful tension between activating and, uh, and limiting energies. Uh, yeah. That'll pass through time to root while i said yeah
2: <laughs>
1: so so and, and there's a number of ways you can talk about the value of that the irritant the abrasion the the friction right. between um idea and activation um you know the we, we all know that it takes the a p- little piece of sand to be the irritant to make the pearl and once right. the pearl is emerged then you can decide what to do with it you know it's, it's like you now have this new state to engage with um, the right. idea of, uh, you know, taking this restriction, you know, the resistance and the activation, the desire for something like, you know, why you want something and then you're limited by how it's actually going to happen. And one of the things you and I have talked about a lot is language is that we can yeah. have these individual concepts and ideations, but what you and I have to do are anybody who's trying to emerge what's next is we have to compare our ideas. We have to figure out right. where they're, they strengthen each other and where they weaken each other, you know, and, right. and decide, and to, to get this, this aligned third way that we spoke right. of in, in the last um, podcast. So it's really interesting, you know, like when you're a kid, you you're like, I just wish everything would be easy. You know, just like I want clear sailing and cause I know exactly what I want. And I want so so I just want things to happen exactly the way I think they should happen, and that that's really right. a reflection of your maturity,
2: because
1: yeah. it, it, we're naturally complex beings, and so we don't need this like simple slide to the to the end. We need to have all of these other um, interactions and choices and complexities and different colors and flavors that come in to actually create a fuller picture at the outcome. Right. You know, so, so that, that um, we, we need to engage with other people. We need to collaborate. We don't, right. having one person and one flavor, you know, drive the story, it, it become it's not sustainable. It's not part, it's not the way nature works, you know? Right. It's, it's like, we need that complexity. And that's what's been so fun with evolving this whole anti-fragile message with you and, and the, 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 the pilot projects and the other work is that we've had these different paths to this moment. We each had a vision of how it could be. And now we get to break, you know, kind of put it into this new container and say, how is it? And how could it be?
2: Right. And
1: bring in our own um, experiences into it, but to be open that it's going to be something that neither you nor I individually could have envisioned. Right. And that's the um, exciting part of it is putting it in that container.
0: Absolutely. You had brought up an example of what I would call an inadvertently limiting energy, which is um, the uh, homogeny that comes from people wanting to, uh, to avoid conflict or abrasion, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was, I was, it, it brings to mind um, a practice that actually, unfortunately, happens a lot, where, uh, whereas people tend to hire people who look like them and like them. And what that creates is a culture that is is around basically a single personality, which is unhealthy mm-hmm. in the extreme and uh, also not very fun. Um, so uh, having worked in technology, they have almost universally adopted, you know, what I would consider to be an example of, of you know, utilizing psychology to, to full effect is that, you know, we speak a lot about the necessity for diversity, but that usually runs deeper than what you would normally recognize and that. They typically want to hire a complementary portfolio of personality types with the upfront supposition that there will sometimes be conflict and there will be difficulty. I like the way you distinguish between complexity and complications, right? So, you know, I mean, pretty much every job I've had literally in the past 20 something years has begun with. Uh, a psychological assessment and it's because they they're looking not just for a person who has the domain expertise but they're looking for somebody who has a complementary personality orientation and the professional maturity to recognize that there's no such thing as a single point of view right Mm -hmm. so you know um, there are various psychological frameworks that are that are proposed that allow you to more easily navigate that whereas you can say you know I am of this type and that person is of that type and there's no one right way of doing things. If I'm going to enlist that person to assist, I'm going to have to adapt how I talk about things in a way that makes sense to that person and vice versa. So, you know, uh, again, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't intend on talking about this, but when you had used that example, it, it brought to mind how frequently people will do it. They'll try to avoid uh, the discomfort. Of uh, mm-hmm. what they consider conflict, but what they do is they end up creating a really weird echo chamber, which is actually really unhealthy. So,
1: well, I, I mean, you're, you're basically talking about a cult versus a culture. Yes, you know, an occult is we all believe one thing. That
2: yeah. This
1: is that this is our flavor. This is what we do, and anything that challenges that, we leave behind one way or the other, and it's, it's, it's not natural. It's, you know, I'd written a piece a while ago that a biomimicry versus biomockery, you know, it's like, are we, are we actually staying in alignment with our natural patterns uh, that, that have the, the, the kinds of patterns that when we're in alignment with nature, that has allowed us to actually emerge the story of future,
2: you know, because mm-hmm. we're not staying yeah.
1: stuck in, in that story. And then you look at culture and it's it has complexity to it when you know you say the word culture to anybody and they'll give you their lens on it some people look through food language customs family colors you know whatever it's going to be and it's it's a much more complex um storyline and so with, with it being more complex there's more entry points so people can find their way into it and you know and experience it because once we actually experience things you know again it's it's in that space of knowledge we know what we know but if we jump into the unknown we have awareness and we have empathy and we move into a space of wisdom a new state of being so it's that's what's exciting about it is continuing to jump off that ledge of what you know and into the unknown because that's where you start experiencing so many other elements not only of that external culture but internally you're activating more of who you are.
0: Right. Um, I uh, I remember I, I worked for this company that was based in India and they needed me to, I was the technical program manager, which meant I needed to fire up a couple of engineering teams. And the very first person I hired in the United States was a guy named Frank who couldn't be any more different than me uh, in the world, right? Like Frank's the kind of person that has 10 pencils sharpened and they are of precisely the same length. And um, God, man, Frank really annoys me. But what Frank is able to do, he has the professional maturity um, to recognize that, they're, that that basically what's best for the company might be an intersection between his point of view and mine, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, the, the that reason- That's the third way, yes. Yeah. Yes, the third way is that you and I talk about, because again, the topic is, you know, there's an activating and a limiting energy. What is that third way? And then the third way, between Kent and Frank was, you know, um, I was hired to, to to not just to define the vision, but to implement it, right? Which meant that I have to wear a lot of hats. I'm pretty good at that. However, that that when I'm in that mode, that does not make me very good at task definition and execution. I need somebody who to be that complement. So what Frank would do is that he would say, these are all good ideas. These are even great ideas, but we only have the resources to do 10 of them this week. So, can you help me figure out which ones we're not going to do this week, which is a decent mm-hmm. question, right? He's not telling me my ideas are dumb uh He's telling me that we only have the resources to do ten uh of a certain size, and he's not even telling me um that he's going to pull them off. He's asking me to help him define which ones we're not going to do right now and that's that's a decent way of going about it and then as well, we
1: he's he's letting you opt into ownership
0: yes. That. Yeah. And what he and I did was worked t- together to find that third one, which actually is a woman named Lisa. Uh, and I love, actually, I just love Lisa uh, I like uh, uh, on so many levels. My favorite thing is I asked her, she'd been, you know, commuting for years. And I said, what do you do in that car for hours, you know, so you don't lose your mind. And she said, with every breath, I think in with the bumblebees and out with the, in with the You know, in with the butterflies, out with the bees is how she put it. Her demeanor was amazing. But she also spanned between those two personality extremes. She understood me and she understood Frank, so she was in between. And with that structure, we were able to build all the way around that. So if you think about the collaboration that you and I and Trudy have, it's actually extremely complementary. We are not similar. We use a similar language, which is helpful, right? But we uh, we come at this from completely different perspectives, which you have to have in my experience, you can't have an echo chamber. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say about it, you know? So I don't know if you have much to say on that because you're actually part of this collaboration and we are very different, you know?
1: Well, but I think it's a really good example um, of how you find your way forward. You know, you can either focus on your differences or you can focus on your uh, alignment and then you look at the alignment and say aligned around what? It's like, oh well, we all want a world that works for everybody, no exceptions. Okay, that's a good thing to align around.
2: Right, singleness of purpose. Our, yes,
1: yes, and and it's and it's this this idea that um, it's actually possible, and it's not only possible that it's actionable, you know. So so we right. move very quickly into the right uh, container for that potential. Now the beauty right. about containers is that you can deconstruct them. If you say okay well this was this was the best way to talk about it based on what we knew in that moment but we're constantly learning you know and unlearning right. we're in this flow all the time and then we go oh okay great wait, wait 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 now it needs to be this it needs to be a pilot project in our local neighborhood that's going to be the way to really bring it forward. And yeah. you've got to have you got to as as you like to say you have to be nimble. You have to be flexible and you can't get overly bound to one storyline because right. then you're moving again. You're moving out of the culture into the cult. You're, you're saying that that one vision is driving it. You can have a shared vision, but you can't have one vision with multiple people. So yeah, well, there's nuances to it.
0: You just talk. I mean, actually, I'm working on a project for a customer and uh and it's um you know i've actually worked in this subculture for decades they're sometimes a really difficult group to be around because they are um you know just by virtue of who they are uh, and their engagement with the world and we had a really decent conversation yesterday about how we had defined and rallied around our singleness of purpose which is truth and transparency and that that's worth mentioning we acknowledge like the participants and the contributors to this project are literally all over the world so they come from a vast vast number of backgrounds and then just by temperament not all of them are terribly diplomatic but if we can rally Mm -hmm. around truth and transparency we might be able to uh to uh navigate the inevitable uh abrasion if you will that happens when when you have these types of collaborations and um and again what, what ruth and i are really talking about is is this would be a good conversation. This would be a good way to introduce the concept of the INE, but that's basically what we're talking about is it's not just finding a third way. It's literally almost um, orchestrating your efforts in such a way that you remain sort of in that that third way bubble, acknowledging that that's not comfortable and that's by design.
1: Well, I, I, and, and I think that there's a great benefit to uh, the, the tension, you know, to to the people yeah. who will call it out because again, that's another container. It forces you to look at it and it, yeah. it, it cracks things open. So diplomacy is important, but also you've got to have the, the muscle to, to call things out and, and really uh, be vigilant in your honesty about right. what is going on. Because you know we've all seen many organizations that just kind of, they get a little bit better, then they get a little bit worse, and they never really quite make the impact that, that the, the originators wanted them to, because they're trying to be a little too diplomatic at the wrong time. You have to uh-huh. invite that conflict, as you were saying earlier. You can't step away from it, because that's actually what forces outcomes. You know, it's like in, in nature, the, the, there's natural fire patterns, you have to burn things away to actually to see what you have and there are some seeds that only come alive when the fires are lit so mm-hmm. you know you have to um, you know one of the things i've talked about is this uh this, this space of the adjacent possible you know that that there are elements that we all have we have memories we have ideas we have language that is only going to become activated in the right circumstances and right. so when we have this opportunity, like you have with your client to kind of force those circumstances to get to what's next more quickly, because there's an urgency to, uh, to creating an outcome. And yeah. you can do that in a controlled way, you know, but it takes boldness. It takes willing to step into the fire and go like, okay, great. I'm, I'm going to step up and we're going to call this out. and. Yeah. You know, and people at that point at every moment they can opt in or they can opt out. Mm-hmm. Those who opt in say, okay, this is the level we're playing at. Let's see what the game is. And well, the ones I, um, who are, are 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 afraid of that are gonna fade away.
0: Right. I um uh I like the concept of the INE. I don't know if you want to introduce it um because I think it's applicable and it definitely reflects, you know, where I Aspire to keep myself from, uh, you know, a, a state of, as I guess, constant mindful meditation. Is just try to keep myself in that middle place, which I acknowledge is uncomfortable by design, right? So, did you want to yeah. introduce it? Yeah, it's yeah, a, I it's would like, like to. Um,
1: I have a number of friends who have uh, studied or engaged with shamanic practices in South America, and mm-hmm. one of the the models that a friend brought back. Was this idea of the I-N-I, which is the? Can you spell this, it? You it's spell a y
0: n i. Some people think about a y. Yeah,
1: a y n i, and mm-hmm. um, and it's this whole idea. It's kind of the place where energies, uh, forms of energy, are exchanged. It's a mm-hmm. centerpiece, and that you're looking at it. You have the four directions, and the you know at, at the top you have the hummingbird which is looking at the nectar of everything, you know, we, it's just like, as you would see in a garden, just tasting the sweetness of everything Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: taking it from a very high level. Balancing that is you have the root and that's the anaconda because the anaconda moves along the jungle floor and feels everything, you know, just imagine a snake doing that. So that's your root and your rise. So the rise is the hummingbird and the root is the anaconda balancing that you have the jaguar which is as it moves through the jungle is tearing everything down to its elements to the different pieces and then to across from that you have the eagle or the condor who takes those pieces that the jaguar has has uh, pr- uh, produced and rises, holds them up to the light, up to the sun to actually see how, what else they can be. So you have Jaguar in the position of transacting and you mm-hmm. have the eagle or the condor in the form of transforming. How, how else mm-hmm. can we see this? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the Aini, it's the place where all of these four drivers come together. So right. you have your root and your rise and you have your transacting, your transform. And INI is uh, basically the crucible as we've talked about um, where we're emerging, what's next? You know, what is, what can this come into? You know, so that that we have this new visual or we have this new language or we have this new container of some kind and that's gonna produce a different story.
2: Right, well,
1: I'm a big fan of that. (laughs)
0: No, I am too. And actually, so it's good to pivot and give a specific example. Like one of the, um, the basis of our collaboration is, is this idea around transacting transformation. Mm-hmm. And that clicks for me. Actually, I wrote an article um, when I was with Xerox. It was published in the Cutter IT Journal that was called um, Satisfying Users Against Their Will. And in the article, I talked about how, I think the article came out in the 90s, but it talked about how my designs, um, designing skateboard parks, informed um, how to design software. Um, And it's not just how to design software, it's how to design software for uses where people don't want to see the software in the first place, right? I mean, they bought a printer or a copier, it's Xerox, right? Nobody cares about the software. They want to get through the thing and get on, but you've got to actually share some information with them and people don't read manuals, you know? So, you know, how do you basically transform the Xerox user into um, somebody who can actually uh, take care of the product and do so from a place of, of feeling a sense of accomplishment and pride? Um, if they are coming at it from a transactional point of view, they want to get from A to B and they don't want you to be in the middle there. You're going to have Mm -hmm. to minimize this as, as much as possible, but, but you can actually construct uh, a series of of challenges, what Ruth would call um, uh, complexities because people are drawn towards it. They like that feeling of accomplishment. So that was, you know, the summary of the articles talking about how, uh, we could create what I call lines and I use them. Yeah. Um, I use that, that word, um, you know, cause it applies to surfing, skateboarding, um, snowboarding, bicycling. When people bicycle through traffic, actually I had a great conversation with a linguist that's in the UK, uh, David, I told you about him and we're talking about mm-hmm. lines and what resonated for him is that he rides his bike in traffic in London. And for him, it's a line. And it's a difference between, you know, getting clobbered by a bus uh, or just making his way through. Right. So the line metaphor makes sense. And so, when we're talking about transacting transformation, people come into uh, 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 you know, our solution um, from the perspective of transactions, which is to say, I want to do A, B, and C, so D happens, right? For them, that's just how this is. And that's how our culture is, right? Um, but mm-hmm. we don't want to just address the symptom. We want to fix the problem of it. So you know, what we do is we, we architect a solution that by virtue of going through the transactions of A, B, C the outcome of D has transformed them. And just to use a really concrete example, we want to draw people into the system. So they recognize that this might be a way um, to to come up with some solutions for problems that they didn't know how they can do, right? Like how to find trustworthy childcare or how to make a few extra bucks. But at the outside of that, they realize I've just transformed into being a micro business owner, making um, food out of the kitchen and bringing in a few hundred extra bucks a month. I've transformed, right? I'm no longer this person i've become something else so this is a good example of where you know ruth and i will when we have our discussions we've agreed upon a meta language that helps us uh, um, you know uh, uh you know brainstorm solutions and the meta language is okay the ini where are we in the ini are we at the jaguar are we at the hummingbird mm-hmm. are we at the, are we at the thing and you know that's a shared language that helps us understand have we gone too far one way or the other we have to find that pragmatic mix at the at the eye of the ini so to speak you know um, well, i don't know if that resonates right for you
1: and and the no I, I think that's a really good way to describe it and i think childcare is a fantastic way to showcase it because it's such there's a measurable thing the transaction side where you can value the work but there's this right. other transformative as you said where you have to build trust capital you have to tap into those invisible capitals and right. when I started thinking and talking about transacting transformation, it's being very pragmatic. It's being very practical that we understand that if we just stay in the transactional side, the very linear side of it, we're leaving out so much. Like if, well, if you just said, well, I found someone who can do it for $10 an hour and you knew nothing about that person.
2: Then There's a work. huge
1: risk, right? People do that all the time. And then, yeah. but then if it's just a transformational where I found this amazing place that's going to evolve my kid into, you know, Einstein and, but you don't have the cost of it, then you, you've right. lost, you, you have to balance that all the time. Right. And and so it's what's been so interesting about this pandemic uh, we've gone through is that people are re-engaging with their values. Like they're they're obs- they're spending more time with their kids, and they're observing some complexities in those kids that are trig- triggering complexities in themselves. And so, let's say you know, starting in the spring, people say, "Okay, childcare is open again." They're going to have a different story around what to value. They're going to look at that differently and say, "Oh, wait a minute, I like this more complex child that's evolving. How can I support yeah. that?" You know. So it's it's yeah. like. This ripple effect is what's so interesting to me, is that these micro changes that given the right crucible, given the right container, those micro changes actually become the drivers rather than the things that you trim off um, to to fit into somebody else's storyline
0: we had talked about in our pilot community, because of course we talked about outrage and then we're pivoting towards vision. And, and then this is what we'll discuss in more detail in a, in a later podcast. But one of them, you know, we kind of left a hint at the end of the last, um, the mm-hmm. last podcast, which was by leveraging the Texas cottage food law, people can um, uh, turn a home-based food business into something that can help them generate up to $60,000 of additional revenue. Without the necessity for a permit or an inspector, and the way we would do that is by working with uh, uh, you know an entity nearby that has a commercial kitchen, because a person needs they need to know how to scale the the recipe up, right? And mm-hmm. and Ruth has actually done this. That was the cornerstone of the um, community Renaissance Market uh, that you know earned her national attention with uh, ABC News, um, and that's how you incubated you know a lot of a lot of businesses. I mean, how many was that? 70, Like, oh, there was about uh, there was eighty-seven
1: of- businesses
0: right so we know this works and and this is a great example where people had transformed they had transformed through a series of transactions it became something else it's important to acknowledge that a number of them decided they didn't want that transformation which is you know uh you know that's appropriate i mean that's the thing with Mm -hmm. an incubator some people realize you know what this is more work and i'd rather just have a job and they don't want to do it or it's not a viable concept and that's healthy you know so anyway another example that Uh, we've talked about is, you know, um, how do you put together a solution in the neighborhood where you can have access to trusted and high quality care providers for your children? Because that's a major, that's a major barrier, particularly for women, Mm -hmm. right? Like, cool, I was supposed to go back to work now that my child is five, but now I've just spent the whole year at home stuck with my kid, you know, while my partner is off working a million hours. So, you know, and it's not just it's not just as easy just hiring somebody because you know sometimes we don't have that extra income. So, you know what we have discussed is something that would um, leverage um, you know a verifiable identity and a reputation to ensure that you are getting people that you trust. But also maybe the only thing a person has is their reputation equity, and that might be the only way they can pay, and that might help prop up something akin to a barter, right? So the thing is, is that these are these are other examples where whereas before you know childcare would be something you just paid for, but maybe that's not an option anymore. And through the process of engaging in a variety of transactions, a person comes away transformed and realized that maybe, maybe there's some real benefit in having the kids hang out with an elderly member of the community, for instance, who actually mm-hmm. has a lot of values to share, you know, just as an example. So, and these insights are gained by keeping us at the eye. It's the, the visualization I have is it's like there's a, uh, if you have like a wine glass that's inverted and it's underwater and there's a bubble of air in there, And so you move the glass around and the bubble shifts from side to side as you move the glass. That's how Mm -hmm. I visualize it. So, you know, when I meditate on this, I think like, are we too much on the Jaguar side? Are we too much on the root side? And what pops out are pragmatic uh, um, uh, solutions, you know, do this Mm -hmm. and then do this, that kind of thing.
1: Well, and and that's where the anti-fragile playbook uh, becomes so useful is there's a path to follow. There's an order of things. um, Right. You know, we that, that this year has taught a lot of people um, that the order that they've been given may not work for them. You know, they that this is this is predicated on you're going to have this kind of house in this kind of neighborhood, making this kind of money. You know, it's it's, it's very prescribed. And yeah. what we we've, we've learned is that that's very fragile. You know, and so we yeah. need this this guide. We need this recipe book for how else yes. it, it can emerge, but to do it in a way that has consistency. Yeah. That that you can find, yeah, you know, once you know more of who you are, then you engage with other people. And you again you find that third way, like you, Trudy and I have done and continue to yeah.
2: do. Yeah. Is that I mean, it
1: doesn't negate people's experiences to that moment, it enhances their future shared experience. Right.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's not an anticipated part of the conversation, but I'm realizing that as we bring forward the INE as a mental concept, it really does help reconcile why we were able to come up with, you know, because we went through the process of like, we share a vision. It's pretty bold. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to make it happen? And what immediately just clobbered us in the face is all of the forms of soft capital that actually enable this to be possible. Um, Cause you know, the easy answer, the transactional answer is if you just have the money to make it happen, but um, you know, that's not always the case. And i would learned this doing skateboard advocacy. Like you can't begin collecting money until you have activated soft capital, wisdom capital, attention capital, trust capital, et cetera, right? And so that, the, the construction of the anti fragile Playbook is, is really actually built around that. Begin with outrage, really dig into why people are upset. And then that roots your vision. And if you do this correctly, as we'll talk about, we're beginning to kind of put hints in there. People come away okay. from it and they say, uh, this, is, this is clicking for me. This is exactly what I need. And it's, it's, it's eminently actionable and it's practical. And I, I've been wanting this, right? Um, and uh, so this is why we keep kind of harping on it. Um, we had talked about, you know, uh, cult versus culture, complication versus complexity. Um, one thing that I was hoping to talk about is, and I had actually spoke of this in the discussion on weaponizing language, is the difference mm-hmm. between cost and investment. Because it's like my biggest pet peeve, actually. Um, In the uh, uh, the December nineteenth, twenty twenty edition of the Economist, there's an article talking about mutual aid groups um, spreading in uh, a COVID-stricken America, and um, you know, the subtitle says their expansion has been a positive development in a ghastly year. And it just talks about you know all of the different um, mutual aid projects. I mean, we're you know we kind of fall in that category. What's a little annoying about the article is that it concludes with a great example of like (laughs) it concludes with you know this is really encouraging but it's still not going to do as much as the government Mm -hmm. which is so defeating right um because it has to be presented in an either or and that's not at all how we see it like why not just an and why not entertain a third way like why not put together a variety of public private and potentially faith-based collaborations in mutual aid societies that are focused on the community but in a way that orchestrate a um, collaboration with the government in a way that extends the reach in a self sufficient way. Like, why not do that? It's like, and I just wanted to say that, and I'll pass the baton. Is is the media will typically employ language that that is demeaning towards things. It actually diminishes the value. It makes it look like a cost. It makes it look like something that's not of value and therefore well, not sustainable. And
1: and and so so while you were speaking, I was thinking about one way to frame the cost versus investment we put mm-hmm. a cost on things that we don't want to do that we, right. and, and we, we make the things we do want to do an investment you know it's right. a positive and so so here you have the media talking about these mutual aid societies and I remember in the beginning of the pandemic there was at least in my circles there was a lot of talk about mutual aid societies um, that were popping up all over Austin and in the usual places where you know there's more uh, social justice and economic justice groups um, that are more public in in their actions and so mutual aid became this kind of softer way to talk about that and so because right. because you know people are you know you've had you have children and and you've had. Uh, people do the, the meal trains and they do all kinds of things give a, give people people give a, give people a task and okay. they can do it you know it's sure. in their scope the what I when I read the economist article that you shared um, and yes there was this kind of bit at the end where it ended of like it, it's how I always felt when people would just pat me on the head very paternalistically and just say, oh, that's so cute that you're an idealist and you think things like that can happen. You know, it felt no. like it, it's, it's where going back to the transaction and the transformation, people would, they look at the transformation and think, oh, that's just so naive that you think people are good and that they want to do these things. And so it gets yeah. very dismissed in the existing predatory capitalist system as this, right. as this kind of wishful thinking. And when you add the transaction to it, when you put some shape around it, people value it differently, you know, that they, right. they, like, I heard a story on the radio the other day and what they did in this small town is they, you know, they have DoorDash and they have all the delivery services, right? Well, right. The, the town said it's too expensive for most people to add $30 onto their delivery you know, and we're talking about elders, we're talking about people who are on limited income. So what the city did is they um, created, they they took money from their rainy day fund and said, you know what, we're going to make sure this food gets delivered. We already do meals on wheels. Why not do something that is more interactive with the community? And the community got involved and said, great, people are like, oh, well, I can cook some things. And then somebody else says, I can deliver some things. And they got some support from the government but the government wasn't doing it it was supporting people doing their own community uh providing their own community solutions and that that's a role of a good government but it also happens in a small town where the government isn't so separate from the people you know it's it's very engaged i think there's probably like 500 people in the town you know it's very small but they so so when people say no government at all it's like well there is value to order when you are yeah, that's you have a shared commitment to a vision
0: i mean that's the thing is that it's it's uh you know i actually I'm, I'm, I'm cradling my head in my hands because it's me talking about a topic that just triggers me is various forms of escapism you know um is uh, uh there's like this somewhere that we'll talk about extremes people go towards either utopian or dystopian uh Um, uh, extremes right like if we Mm -hmm. talk about orchestrating a collaboration between public private and faith-based contributors in a way that might help augment government I can expect to have somebody say yeah but can't remember FDR and the new deal and I'm like I know I know that was 70 or 80 years ago but in the year 2020 2021 do you expect that to be real and the answer is Mm -hmm. if we could just do this, like, I I don't want to, I don't want to jump into the what ifs of escapism. Like, honestly, like what we're talking about is our community, this walk that you and I do all the time. Let's just talk about it in the scope of that. And I can assure you that we'll get more done in the scope of the neighborhood we walk than to wish for a, a return of FDR New Deal, right? Or when the government does this, we'll send a man to the moon. Like I know these stories, right? I'm not ignorant to history, but I'm talking about what we can do in our neighborhood. Right. And mm-hmm. this is, this is why we like to embrace, I guess it's something else. It, it did come up in our, in our, our vocabulary discussion. It's protopia. It's not, it's not dystopia. It's not utopia. It's it's small incremental improvements every day, which actually is really good for morale. Right. Like okay. <laughs> if you can just do small incremental improvements each day, it actually makes you feel really, really good about things. And, and guess what? Like, I mean, for whatever reason, people are kind of addicted to their reality TV show, they're dystopian, and then they then they have their utopian um, escapism. And we would just encourage the protopian and and to really focus on what's bite size and immediate, right? Like, um, you know, I, I recognize these stories. I know these stories, right? Um, but they're not applicable to the neighborhood right so what are we going to do in the next you know immediate time and the emphasis is on we what are we going to do and of course not everybody's going to get involved it's actually easier to complain frankly and so you know that's not how I am but I I understand it you know
1: and and, and it is easier to complain you get a lot of social support for that that you know that that you belong in a group now you Mm -hmm. know when when it gets really hairy when when it's really tough how many people in that group are actually going to be supportive of, of a solution? Right. You know, and, and it's it it is hard. I mean, you've gotta you've gotta be the one that's willing to stick your neck out and say it can be different. And
2: right.
1: that is that doesn't win you social capital in the short term. It doesn't the right. long term because you keep holding that as a potential. But that again, right. that kind of gets to you have to to move into a space. Where you find a way to transact that transformation if you just talk uh-huh. about the potential people are like oh it's you know it's it's the boy crying wolf right it's, it's like oh it, they're always talking about potential but they don't you know i'm still hungry i, I don't see something yeah. happening and so yeah, I mean we walk around the neighborhood and we interact with people and we see what they're doing and we see the the change that if you're not walking, you're not going to see, if you're just driving through a neighborhood, you're not going to notice the little things and right. you're not going to be able to build relationship with the environment, let alone the people.
2: Right. And
1: so it's, it's been, um, you know, it's been very, it's, it's been such an, a magical opportunity to be able to take these walks with this Uh, you know this ideation this tank this idea ideas we have about how else it can be and then be able to test it as we walk through because we can see the changes happening it just needs to be captured and brought forward
0: yeah i was just um thinking of another example because there's actually other factors to this you know we're, we're talking about activating versus limiting energy and if you if you use that to acknowledge this idea of the irony, which is sort of sitting Mm -hmm. in that bowl between those extremes. Um, And if you embrace the idea of transacting transformation, there's a few things that drop out of that. One of them, for instance, is that, um, I mean, I just sort of noticed most people don't know how things are made. So they don't Mm -hmm. understand that things have to be, they have to be built in phases in steps. You don't do a transaction. That's all at once. It doesn't happen that way. It never does actually. So um, you know, maybe it's because it's been generations since people have made things, but they think that, you know, a quilt is made just in one step. That's not true at all. You have to mm-hmm. select the materials. that have to have a certain similar fabric. You've got to assemble it. It's a lot of work, actually. There's a lot of like sequencing and, 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 and all that stuff. And maybe because they haven't done that, they just think it's all somebody just sits down and, you know, whips out a, a quilt without even trying, or, mm-hmm. you know, a car is just made in one step. And, and I don't think it's because they just don't have the experience. Well, Anyway, I was thinking of it in terms of my experience with skateboard advocacy is that for a long time, we thought we wanted a skate park. And, and, and I, I was a, probably a decade into it before I realized the framing was wrong. It's like when you close your eyes and you visualize a skate park, you think about a facility that was created in the 1970s to help profiteers make money. It's essentially an amusement park. If you, mm-hmm. put, enough, if you put enough obstacles in there and you wrap it with a fence and you charge access, you can make money. And what we had failed to do was refresh the screen. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. failed to do that because what had happened since the skate parks had um, gone extinct in the seventies is that skateboarding continued to evolve along its path. And, and anybody who has complained about skateboarders in their communities knows what I'm about to tell you. Skateboarders don't need a 30,000 square foot facility to skateboard. What they need is a set of stairs or Mm -hmm. a curb or a whatever. And when we started doing the math on that, about what is the minimum that they need, it's about 1,500 square feet. That's actually what it is. It's like a kid kicking twice, getting his feet ready, jump down the stairs, and then rolling out. And it's about, you know, 75 by 20 feet. That's like basically what it comes to. So no longer are we trying to raise, because that's where we came up with the concept of skate dots and skate spots. Yeah. Skate spots and skate dots cost like $6,000, right? So what we had done is just beat our head against the wall with cities saying, all we need is three quarters of a million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine imagine what it's like where we said, okay, plot twist, (laughs) just kidding. What we are looking for at first, is like four or five skate dots that are about 6,000 each. In fact, we got someone from the community to donate they donate that money. There's a little plot of land and it's underused anyway. And so we're just going to do this. And it was like the city people like spit their coffee, like, wait, 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 wait. Like we're used to you asking for this huge increment. We didn't expect that you were going to do the smaller thing. But as it turns out, adopting this more pragmatic Thing. Not only is better calibrated to what the kids actually wanted, but it actually expedited the adoption of the infrastructure in the first place, like that was originally requested. Because what it did is that it brought those kids out of the shadows into a sanctioned thing, and it got lots of exposure, and that expedited fundraising. So it was just by breaking it into smaller pieces, right?
2: Yeah, So it's
0: probably worth talking about the refreshing the screen, because that's really important. People don't refresh the screen frequently enough. They stick to their plan to their own detriment for years. And then the plan changed. The situation changed, right?
1: Well, and and, and something we had talked about in earlier episodes is that one of the reasons the Anti-Fragile Playbook starts in the kitchen is because, just like with your skate dots, we have to get it to the smallest workable space
2: first. Right
1: where people can actually feel into it Mm -hmm. so that, and and they become more activated and more uh, habituated to refreshing the screen is to kind of say, is it true? Has it ever been true? Could it be true? And should it be true? Because they can feel Mm -hmm. into it because that's how people change is they have a feeling that they, they don't know what to do with it. You know, like they don't, their, their existing frame doesn't work. Their existing screen lens on the world doesn't work. Their existing language doesn't work to fully um, emerge what they're feeling. And that, mm-hmm. and humans are curious beings. You know, We wanna say, hey, wow, maybe we shouldn't be in the caves anymore. Maybe we'll go to the trees, right? But there has to be some impetus there. There has to be some feeling, a need for change, a desire for it that is stronger than the fear of it. Mm-hmm. And so if we can put this in the most familiar context possible, and that's the kitchen. You know, every Mm -hmm. house has one, and it is a place Mm -hmm. that is a source. It is where the kitchen table capitalist does his or her work, sitting there trying to think about the different um, uh, resources that are available, what we, you know, capitals, and thinking about the different ways they can be combined, but that comes from, as you were saying, refreshing the screen. Is it still true? Has it ever been true? Could it be true and should it be true? and to understand that you have the right as a human on the planet to create a life worth living by your standards
2: yeah with an
1: agreement that that does not do damage to others
0: right yeah i mean your comfort i mean i can't say it can't i I was going to say your comfort can't come at the Discomfort of others, but that's not true because there's lots of people that are totally fine with that. <laughs> you know, well, it would be, yeah, it and, would be our it would be our aspiration that that were not the case. But you
1: know. and, and and some some people need to be made uncomfortable. You know that yeah. that 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 has to be that the discomfort has to be brought to them because yeah. they are inured to it. And so if we if we just say, okay, look, the universe demands balance. If somebody is extremely comfortable, that means that that has come at the cost of comfort to many others. So you have someone sure. like Jeff Bezos, who's got, you know, $200 billion. Well, that's a whole lot of resources that's been pulled out of the system to the yeah. benefit of one person versus the other 9 billion.
2: Yeah. And it's, I,
1: uh, you know, so, so, so we have to look at it as a balance.
2: Hmm. Well,
0: I, um, I've talked about this before, you know, cause I've been in tech for a long time and, and, you know, people should know by now that the tech industry is not sufficiently mature, which means that there are boom and bust cycles. So, you know, you can go from making 130 K to making nothing like overnight and it can, you know, go like that. And, uh, and it can be rough, you know? So one thing that's been interesting to me is how many people I've known some 53, I've how many people I've known by now that have just committed suicide because things got, things went pear-shaped because they do mm-hmm. like, you're going to have to, you're not entitled to a life of never-ending prosperity like life is life right and um, uh, and it's it's an interesting thing I remember I worked with these people and they uh, they were married and they would um, they had really really embraced the idea of buying a new Audi every year um, and that was part of their identity but they also ate you know pea, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day because it was part of their budgeting I'll be honest with you I can't even fathom such an arrangement I would rather eat Uh, good food and drive a thousand dollar car but you know to each his own right but anyway the point on this is that it's difficult to get through to people that maybe it's time to refresh the screen particularly if they have built a life that um, that is dependent upon a certain income right so you know people say they buy a house it's not really true you're basically um, you're basically making payments on it usually for 30 years while paying property taxes right and that um, that the, the mortgage that you commit to is an indicator of how much consistent income you hope to get. Likewise, car payments and other sorts of forms of credit. And, you know, if your earning potential goes down and that happens all the time, those are called recessions. Mm-hmm. They have been in. I mean, I'm not aware of any point in human history where they didn't exist.
2: <laughs> right. So, right, right. you know,
0: it's healthy and, and actually sane to assume that there will be economic setbacks. And yet, you know, what we have is this, this societal norm where people are like, I just can't, I just, I just find it unacceptable that we would not continue living this particular lifestyle. And that rigidity turns into a form of fragility that, mm-hmm. you know, ends up resulting in them killing themselves because they can't deal with the shame of it. In fact, have you been watching the suicide statistics in, in Japan, man, it is really, really yeah. interesting. Man. It is really interesting. So. And I'm just baffled by that because, because people paint themselves into a corner, but the, but the corner is entirely made up. It's not even real. You just step out of the corner. So anyway, I posted this thing this morning. It's actually a quote from um, Upton Sinclair that says, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. So that's not right. just a statement about people's um, sense of entitlement about a certain lifestyle, but there's also certain injustices that people have become aware of. And they're willing to keep their mouth shut about it just because they don't want to imperil their ability to earn a living. And it's not just a survival thing. It's so they can continue living a certain living. <laughs> right? That's well, an interesting. I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the thing, is that that what we're talking about is moving into a space of awareness that right. what is the cost to your benefit? You know, mm-hmm. so so and we talk a lot about how we're in this model where it's it's very much a shareholder model where right. th- that the dollar capital is a priority at any cost. So mm-hmm. it's you're not taking into effect in into account that your need for seven houses allows for six people to be homeless. Mhm. You know, and and it's it's. I mean, really, if you're going to be transactional, let's just do the math on it. You know, it's just it's yeah. there, and so it's and certainly, the people who can acquire seven houses that you know. I'm not I'm not talking about people who build up a rental property model and they have other people living in the houses. That's fine. You know, i I mean individuals. I'm talking about uh, people who have excessive. Wealth, like far more than they can spend in this lifetime by themselves, mm-hmm. buying estates that they can only be used one at a time. So you know, it's, it's very. We have to be very clear that there is a lot of um, specifics around mm-hmm. overconsumption. And if yeah. you're because so, so, if you are somebody who's had the capacity to buy five rental properties. And now there's five families that can rent those houses. I mean, you're investing in the, in the, in the economy, you're investing in the flow. If you right. are taking five properties off the market for your own use on your own time, you are, um, you are limiting the flow. You know, that, that, that's not returning anything to the economy unless you count the people that are dusting things while you're not there. You know, it's, it's just you very just, different storylines.
0: You just gave an example of a, uh limiting versus activating energy right yeah i've seen that's actually you and i've seen this and that um you know people will have uh resources within a community they're essentially absentee owners and they're just gonna they're gonna buckle down so they can ride the storm and come out uh anyway what happens is that the people who are in the neighborhood that comes at the expense of them that actually limits them and uh you know i you know my opinion on this i just i can't rely upon convincing those of extraordinary privilege to do anything uh i would actually just dig deep i mean this is where you and i had this discussion during the weaponizing language one, right mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. you know we can't sit around this is another example of us you know we have to be careful because we don't want let's not say we have to be careful but to 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 wait for the rich to develop a sense of a conscience isn't going to happen in my opinion we have to actually start doing things so and, and, I, and I, I get triggered a little bit by language. Like if we could just, you and I had this conversation with these these two guys and they're saying, if we could just get a billionaire to it, and I'm like, man, I'm done with this conversation. Mm-hmm, We're not going to get mm-hmm. them to do anything of the sort. It's on us. I can't even fathom waiting around for somebody else. Like we just have to do it. So, you know, that's an example of, you know, people will adopt uh, a, limiting, a limiting energy and a language that limits them in their potential because they're waiting for somebody else to fix the problem. And I don't think that, I mean, I, I'm just one voice in this, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not my well, and, no. and, and
1: And that goes into um, t- uh, talking about attention capital. If you're mm-hmm. paying attention to these people, you're not investing into the people closest to you that are in the most need. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're not observing those actions. You're going, oh, I'm just going to wait for... You know Jeff Bezos to have an awakening. It's like, well, that could be a very long time. You know, who knows if that'll ever happen? And even if um, you have somebody with with a lot of resources, who's, who's concerned, who, with whom you share concerns, mm-hmm. it's the the way we have our our capitalism set up now. The predatory capitalism, their vision of the, of the outcome is going to steamroll yours, you know, because they have the money, you know, he who has the money makes the rules. Right. It's, it's like Mm -hmm. the, so, so are they really worth waiting for, you know, are Mm -hmm. they going to support your vision or are they going to uh, subsume you and create their version of that because they have the money. So it's like, it gets very um, complicated. Again, it's not complexity; it's mm-hmm. complications. When mm-hmm. you outsource to people who don't have clearly shared values, right? And, and and it's and so you have to you you have to when you cede your power to that, you don't have it. You've let, You've let go of the the outcome. You know you're well. You have your have that opportunity.
0: I would go further than that is that when people, again, I said that people have this weird tendency of pinning themselves into corners that don't actually exist. So I've noticed that when people will adopt the language of limiting energy to say, Mm -hmm. we can't do anything until the rich X, what they do is they paint themselves into a corner that all but rationalizes violence, which I find to be unnecessary. Honestly, we don't need to Mm -hmm. do that guys. Like literally just turn your back on them and just focus on what you have. And it's uh-huh. actually a really good story. It actually is just a lot less dramatic. It might be a little anticlimactic for those who are in, um, inclined towards drama. I don't really like drama, frankly. I would just as soon have a really harmonious life. So what's cool about just turning your back on those that you you know, expect to be your saviors, you can actually just say, what do we have? So the first thing I want to do in terms of refreshing the screen is to recall the stories of my grandparents and their siblings when they talked uh-huh. about how they got through you know, the great depression and the warriors and the, um, and the, um, uh, the dust bowl and they dug deep and they activated forms of soft capital that you and I talk about. And then, you know, when you refresh the screen and recognize we could do the same thing now that actually is a really, that's a way better. That's a great example of a protopian story that is eminently actionable and doesn't necessitate the despair and the anger. Um, and, you know, you know, again, teaches them like, the media monetizes drama. People seem to love being in a sort of a martyred victim status. I don't know what to do about that. I'm not, that's not how I'm wired. So I just assume turn my back on all that, but I would consider limiting energy and to say, what, what ways can we activate what's here? That said, it's important to acknowledge there are limiting factors and what comes out of that are bite-sized transactions. And if we construct them properly, we can transform how people view the world. That's kind of our methodology
2: on this one.
1: Well, and, and, you know, going back to uh, your grandparents and that era, you know, you you just did what was in front of you because that's what was there. You weren't looking to see what was happening on the other side of the country because you couldn't engage with the other side of the country. You're like you you were you were had the, the gift of presence. And it's so so when people keep looking so far afield for the solution, and they haven't actually stayed present to what is needed. You know, they kind of get uh-huh. into needs and wants. And it's it's like what you need is to eat. Yeah. What you want is, you know, access to some feast someplace. Right. You can want that all you want, you know, but it's not ever going to materialize. And mm-hmm. so, so this ability to stay present, it, it's a discipline that people have to re-engage with. Because we live in a very distracting world. We're always being driven towards a story of other, you Mm -hmm. know, like uh, that, that, that you wanting a simple life. Well, that's cute. But if you were a real American or if you were a real fill in the blank, this is what you'd want. Yeah. And, you know, as I had said earlier, you know, people get a lot of social status out of aligning with certain stories. Right. So when I post about you know, how how long it would take for you to actually accumulate a billion dollars. There's always somebody that jumps into that timeline and says, oh, and they start defending the billionaires. And I'm like, I don't even know why you're doing that, but there you go. I
0: can't even, ha- can't even have this yeah. conversation.
1: Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm just kind of like, you know and me. scene, right? Yeah, I, you
0: know me. I can I literally walk away from those
2: conversations. <laughs>
1: but, but, but it's also, you know, the people who are, that their go-to is violence or the threat of violence yeah. even if they would never do it or instigating violence you know they're yeah. getting something out of it they're getting some payoff they feel like they're being a participant it, it excites them at some level they get that little jump up yeah. you know and and it's but nobody's ever looking at day two nobody's ever looking at so now that we have the smoldering remains what happens next
2: yeah well that's and the it's not going to be found
1: violence?
0: Well, that's the important question, actually. I mean, that's the question that I ask because I know a lot of fairly radical people and I'm fond of saying, uh, okay, so what happens next? Like there are uh, orphans and there are uh, the elderly and there are the handicapped. Who takes care mm-hmm. of them? And I, I don't want to hear about how um, we sent a man to the moon or what FDR did. I want to know what the plan is for them. And this is what's put me at odds at, uh, you know, there are no shortage of, you know, I can navigate a lot of bizarre circles and ANCAPs and ANCOMs and, and Libertarians and, and, and socialists. I mean, you just name it. I mean, I, I can, I'm pretty decent at political philosophy. I've studied a fair deal of it. And for me, I consider it the flip side of a coin called economics. So I like to ask the question, um, those are all great stories of escapism, but what are you going to do? if this happens, right? Because this is Mm -hmm. the thing. Because of course, there's no shortage of people banging their kettle about how they want big change through violence, which to me is bizarre, a bizarre form of escapism, nihilistic escapism, by the way, because it's really Mm -hmm. self-defeating. So what happened? I don't know if you've noticed, but the system is in a state of duress. We don't have to throw any more bottles. The system is on fire, right? So what do we do? And what I've noticed is that by degrees, I have been removed from those groups because I share an uncomfortable truth. That is, I would say, the lion's share of what they are what they are entertaining is an example of not activating, but limiting energy. Honestly, that's why I consider it an expression of nihilism. They, they, they say, no, no, I'm, I, it's not a limiting energy. I'm all about activating. It's do this, do this, do this, but what they're not thinking this all the way through and they're actually literally not doing anything. That's the part that fascinates mm-hmm. me. I've never seen people so engaged in doing not an absolute thing. <laughs> it's <really> amazing. <laughs> so,
1: well- you know, and, and and that's it. Is that they are, they're 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 checking some internal boxes, uh-huh. you know, that they are staving off wolf. They are,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, rhetor- metaphorically pushing other people in the way of danger, um, uh-huh. and and it's anathema to how we as humans became the civilization, you know, it's like how we, we right. actually emerged into a society. We weren't pushing each other in front of the dinosaur, you know, we weren't um, putting our, our, our tribe at risk for our own benefit because we wouldn't right. be here. We have to act collaboratively and we have right. to leverage technology to emerge a quality of life you know, to move from making a living to making a
2: life. Right.
1: We've always made a life together. That is just the fact. And some... so, you know, so, so to be in this, this moment where COVID has forced people to look inward and to, to notice what's going on around them. So, so we emerge from this, you know, where it's going to be a rough few months still. So let's say the spring we emerge. What are we emerging into? Right. And that's what we're well, looking at by creating this pilot model.
0: Right. Well, and, and something, I mean, I have a lot of perspective on this just because of the, I mean, literally the lifetime I put into in skateboard advocacy. I mean, there might've been anywhere from like nine to 11 million skateboarders. Um, uh, uh, when I got started um, I didn't need anywhere near that many to get involved. I mean, they say that it only takes like 3%, but in my experience, it takes a lot less than that to actually make a big difference. Right. So, you know, um, you can count on just a couple of hands the people that really made it a difference, actually. And it's not to say that the others didn't, but we didn't need to get everybody. Is my point on this, right? So that's a really <laughs> encouraging thing: is if you just had a few number, a few people that had been oriented in, in such a way and and, and 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 do things just right, you actually dramatically change the world, right? So that's kind of our thing. Like we recognize, you know, the neighborhood we're talking about for our pilot is like you know eleven hundred 1,100 acres, eleven hundred sixty eight mm-hmm. acres. Uh, a few thousand residents, man, we know we're not going to get everybody. That's just not how things work. We don't need that many to make a big difference. That's the really cool thing about this. Um, and, and I, and I do believe this is where we keep coming back to the transacting transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, people are in a state of anxiety and despair because the existing sources of information aren't giving them anything, but despair, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, You'll hear the language that people use, but I, I understand that it's, it, it's, it's framed and informed by the media, which essentially monetizes drama and trauma and suffering. That's what they do. They sell advertising. They don't sell good news. They sell advertising, and they know that people aren't drawn to the good news. So, um, and, you know, we just get into this, like, weird nihilistic cycle. So the cool thing is that when we're talking about a pilot, we're only talking about a few people, and that's going to come out here pretty soon in, you know, one of our subsequent podcasts. We're not talking, you know, right now it's three of us and then it'll be five and then it'll be seven and then it'll be nine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, geez, like things start to happen pretty quickly, um, in a way that's like, wow. And that's just the same thing with the skate dot, right? Like we didn't have to build a 30,000 square foot park. It would have been cool. But what we did was build a variety of, you know, 1500 square foot ones for a few thousand bucks. And then it was a big deal. Like, wow, look what you did. So it's the same thing. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a lot of what we're trying to express here is that you can identify resources, forms of capital that are transcendent of the value of money, and you can, and you can activate yourself just by changing the language and, mm-hmm. and orient yourself in a way that really does move the needle, right? Like it really does happen.
1: Well, and, and, you know, as, as you said, we're, we're in a system that commoditizes trauma, and and drama Mm -hmm. and the negative and the uh uh the shadow the potential fears you know it just and we Mm -hmm. and in the movie monsters inc is probably if you ever want to (laughs) know get a sense of what that is of fear versus joy just watch monsters inc from pixar Mm -hmm. um and but but this whole idea that people actually feel more comfortable in the trauma than they do in the in the joy because Mm -hmm. they know that they can trauma is something they can count on you know they they they, they know how to work with it and they yeah. know how mm-hmm. how to mitigate it or or they think to balance it but joy sure. and it is something that they're out of practice with and so they mm-hmm. don't understand how it can be sustainable and that's yeah. when they start patting people like me on the head and going like oh isn't that cute you think the world can work for everybody i'm like well no i know you know
0: no, I know. It's trippy. Uh, it's trippy to me. I mean, I it's just one thing I'm just fascinated by is how, um, is how biased the systems are towards inaction. That's the part that amazes me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trudy and I speak frequently about like, what does it take to overcome the inertia to resistance to change? I was actually just this morning thinking about, I used to manage a product uh, called TripR log center for this company, TripR, and I was under massive, massive organizational pressure to, to, to make the product obsolete, just to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and even though I'd made a business case to say, actually, it helps you elevate your, how much money you make per deal. And it actually helps you reiterate how, uh, unique you are anyway, I was under massive pressure. Uh, and then I just left because of the pressure and it was just clear that they were absolutely going to shut it down. Anyway, if I open a tab, I can tell you that they're still selling the product. That was like eight years ago, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? And this is the thing that amazes me is that um, there is a massive bias away from action. It's not just, i mean, just say inaction is not even even touch it. We are in a state, an ossified state um, that just resists change. And the language is all about change and change, but for some reason we just don't change. And I think it's because people are risk adverse. What I love about what we call the COVID thing, but 2020 in general, or even better the last five years, I feel like that might shake people up towards being more um, less risk averse towards just change, mm-hmm. just action. God, just do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like staying the course and sticking to the plan is is a disaster. It's a catastrophe, <laughs> right? Like uh, just do something. But, you know.
1: But but that's just not how people respond. You know, they have so mm-hmm. much of the fear reinforced. Again, uh, they get they get social status out of it is like we're all in this together and we're all going down together and you know and and it's and and i like you find it riskier to stay on the train track knowing the train will come at some point than it is to untie yourself and take a risk taking in the road less traveled you know it's like these are your choices and so but but rather than the wagging a figure at people saying you should do this you know you and i have a ton of empathy we get it you know that mm-hmm. that while our own paths have from the outside look very risky they didn't feel risky from the inside they were just what we were doing next right. and it's so our our confidence comes from actually having walked that road less traveled many many times right and and having faith that all you need will appear as long as you're doing your work you know and and that work is staying in faith
2: well this is this is right
0: i mean this is what informs my because we this has come up you know in the, especially in the conversation about weaponizing language, is that i just have this this feeling about those who are in the way really just need to get out of the way because mm-hmm. in the context of businesses the executives typically negotiate their um their exit uh before they start and that creates a basis by which they have no incentive to introduce risk whatsoever so they're essentially holding the spot even if they know it's a disaster for them it's Mm -hmm. not for them it's actually the right thing to do to make sure that there's no change whatsoever because they're going to cash out even if it's the detriment of the organization so this is what this is what biases me towards you know guys we just got to turn our back on them like that is not that's that's bad management (laughs) that's poor stewardship and I feel that way about the the political cast. You know, they're the stewards of a system that is clearly in a state of distress, and they continue to enrich themselves. So, to go to them looking for a solution isn't going to work, right? Like they ain't going to do it. So,
1: well, and, and, and it goes back to why we are framing this as anti-fragile versus resilient. Right. Is that resilience over time? You know, if you just you calcify in one storyline. You, you,
2: mm-hmm. you have,
1: you're so, you, you invest all of your, your vision, your soft and hard capital in one position. Right. And over time it erodes, it weakens. And so you might be able to withstand things, but you're not growing. You're right. just deepening into that one spot. You're sinking into it with mm-hmm. anti-fragile. We are, you know, we've turned on the lights and said, okay, look, this is, This is what's happening. These are the pressures. These are the risks. And we are building a system as it's breaking down. We're using those parts to build what's next. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually built to flex and flow with the the changes Mm -hmm. to be in in, um, alignment with our environment. So it's not a shock to the system every single time. Yeah. So as we're talking about that, you know, um, the the uh, activation and the resistance, we're erring on the side of activation, yeah, because every change you make is going to bring forward a new set of potentials, versus knowing that you are you're, you're over committed to one outcome, and that right. is becoming less and less likely. So it's it's like I remember as a kid you know, once I learned that the universe was expanding, I realized you could never stand still. If you were just holding your space, you were falling behind. Mm -hmm. You had to be in flow with the universe, with the way energy works and use that to drive to a story
2: versus... This is a
0: necessity. Yeah. Well, that's the necessity of of refreshing the screen. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. People
0: will define a plan and stick with it. Even if the plan no longer makes sense, I find that there's been a whole lot of that people have a plan Mm -hmm. the plan is completely absurd frequently it actually ignores um, um, data which has made it clear that this will never happen you don't just get a single job here's the thing by the way you don't leave school go to college get a degree get a job have that job till the end of your career and then retire and be happy like statistically Mm -hmm. the odds are so so vastly against that ever happening it's it's absurd like Richard Florida put out a book 20 something years ago that made it clear that most of us have six major career changes in our career. Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's well-informed by research. Also the college thing, if it ends up costing you $150,000 for school, um, did that make sense? Maybe there's another way of doing it, right? Nonetheless, people have their thing and they stick with it. Um, you know, these are like large scale societal stuff. I use the example of the work environment. I've been navigating those work environments for a long time. I always like to try to find a third way. Like my thing, within like the work environment is like, y'all, I'm just going to take the work none of y'all want. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to do it. Just going to keep at it because nobody else wants the um, unglamorous stuff. That's, that's what I do. And, you know, I do a pretty decent job of it. That's kind of what we're doing here. Like, you know, uh, there's these people throwing bottles, talking about how we got to overthrow the government. I I don't know anything about that. The government has um, turned its back on millions of people and we don't have to address the needs of millions of people right now. You and I are focused on, you know, basically nine people in our neighborhood of Mm 1,100 acres. And then that might scale up to 15 and maybe 30, whatever. It starts to pay for itself in a hurry. It's kind of a cool thing. And by paying for itself, what I mean by that is that it's a system that actually starts adding money into a fund to bring forward other members of the community so they can have a cottage business or so they can have trusted uh, Mm childcare, et cetera. And it's it's like, it's almost an anti-climax in the context of people saying, we could go to the moon, we could go to Mars, like whatever, man, that's not my shtick. My stick is like, how am I going to help somebody who's in a state of despair about what 2020 did to their plans out of the house so they can actually get some footing in a job so their kids are with somebody trustworthy or or what, right? And that's the mm-hmm. cool thing about it is that we can actually do that. So this, this anti-fragile playbook, that's for people like us, you know, um, and we acknowledge that most people aren't like us. We get it. <laughs> We're okay. <with> it. <laughs> We're
1: encouraging <laughs> we <have> you. <laughs> that, that's our yeah. opening thing. Come be anti-fragile. Yeah. It's fun.
0: You'll love it. yeah. Laugh. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, we got a high sense of uh, confidence. So we don't really need this. We don't need this.
2: <laughs> well,
1: and, 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 you know, and that confidence, again, comes from a lot of failure.
2: <laughs> so
1: it's, you know, definitely own that. But it was failure for a purpose. You know, it yeah. wasn't trying to aspire to something that was disconnected from who we are. It was mm-hmm. failure in achieving that next step on this path to where who you are and where we are mm-hmm. and that's okay you just kind of stay mm-hmm. on the path it's fine you know it's like you you skateboarded. i think you may have fallen off your board once or twice maybe three times you know um yeah. but you know at, at the most and so or when you see people like when you taught your daughters how to ride a bike right it's mm-hmm. like you just got to get into the groove that it's okay to to fall that's that's a part of the learning process
0: I got a story about that. I got five kids. The youngest one's Juliet, the youngest twin She and twin transfusion in the womb, which means that the other twin was basically slurping up her resources. She like was a thin, thin opportunity. She was going to make it. She did though. And then she almost died. So she came out of that pretty strong. And the doctor said, you know, those in the doctor said, this is in the NICU, those kids that come through that, they come through that hard. They come through it strong because they've been fighting their entire life for real. So that's Juliet, right? And, um, <laughs> And so the Juliet learning to ride the bike story is this, she got on the bike and she rode away. That's how it worked. <laughs> I couldn't believe it.
2: <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs>
0: oh. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't me running bent head half behind her. She just got on the bike and rode away. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody else though, everybody else it's, it's, you know, not everybody's like Juliet, but it is important to acknowledge that Juliet is like a natural at stuff. That just shouldn't be the case. And it's because mm-hmm. she's got this freakishly, resilient side about her she's such a little sprite but she's so resilient she's so anti-fragile right because yeah. she's come through those things she's come through those things and has, has, has emerged more nimble than before which i just i just dig you know so well, i did write failure slash success go ahead
1: well i was gonna say and i have my own story of that because i wasn't supposed to be here and um and like i i was born into the unknown right. i was born into a story like a very cloudy story of future. And right. so it's never scared me to be in the unknown. That feels very comfortable to me. That feels right. like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's real easy for me to hold that, that confidence capital for people until they're ready to, to take it on themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just wrote though, cause I have a few things that I'll put in the synopsis for this. Uh, Failure versus success. God, that's a good one. Um, Success doesn't exist absent the concept, the context of failure. You can't have success without failure. And our society is weirdly, weirdly resistant, which says, I think, a lot about its current ossified state. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. in this weird stasis. And I think that's contributing to it. Well, I don't want to be associated with failure, so I won't do anything. Even as the whole thing's on fire, you might want to open the window. You might want to do something. Who knows if it's going to work, but it's better than just sitting on your duff and saying that you're going to do something while not doing a thing, right? Um, Right, right.
1: It's like sitting there going, somebody should call the fire department. That should be you. (laughs) Perhaps Mm -hmm. you should do that. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, we hit a lot of stuff, you know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I know this conversation was pretty philosophical, but, you know, we are pivoting from articulating outrage and trauma which people are pretty good at doing right but we want to pivot towards action and so that's the thing our next one is about vision where we actually start talking about how people can actually do something right in their own neighborhood and one that we had talked about is the, the cottage food law that helps people become like a micro business owner that brings in additional income um, and the other one we talked about which I'd love to talk about more is sort of like a reputation-based child care so you can unlock that something you can trust in the neighborhood so you can get a little bit of breathing space and it might be a good experience for the kids Mm -hmm. and uh, I mean there's a lot of those and suddenly it gets pretty activating right and we're really it's really important that you know when we talk about vision and solutions we're not talking about you know how we can go to Mars it's like not in our scope like I mean I'm all for the billionaires going to Mars but I think I'm going to stay here and try to make things better so
1: well and this conversation today, yes, it, it's been somewhat philosophical, but it also is a demonstration of how you have to go wide and big in your potential as mm-hmm. you start defining the, the um, container for it. Right. So that, that so I think it's really good to kind of keep rolling it out at these, these galactic levels, but to understand that we're always going to bring it back to the kitchen. We're always going to bring it right. back to the household because that's where people live. You know, that's where people are trying to sort through the ingredients for their life. And, um, but I find that people enjoy the fact that somebody is holding a bigger story for them.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and they, they, because it's, you know, I've been very fortunate in my life. I've had a lot of people see potential in me that I don't see in myself or I didn't. Uh And they have, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, it gave me a new container to work towards and, but I had to build the container. So it's, you know, one of the things I posted this week was that I, I really was, it, it really freed up a lot of energy for me when I let go of these potentials I was holding for other people. And it's not that I don't believe that they could aspire to that or become that, they Just weren't doing the work,
2: right?
1: You know, they were. Yeah. It was on me to hold that future for them, and it's like, no, everyone has to hold their own future.
0: And oh, yeah, yeah, this it's is better to together because we have talked about this, yeah, yeah. We have talked a lot about this. This is dead on. Is that mm-hmm. I've had this happen where people take me hostage, they're like, whoa, Kent's got a lot of activating energy. They wouldn't say it mm-hmm. that way, but what they do is they take me, they take me hostage, and then they try to put me in a box, it happens all the time. I don't know what the deal is. Like a great example is, you know, I've been a product manager for my career. So they bring me in because I'm action oriented and a shelf self-starter, blah, 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 blah. But the problem isn't isn't that they don't have those people. What they have are people that are actually financially incentivized not to do a single thing. So so they could have actually saved a lot of money if they didn't hire people. They weren't going to let actually act in the first place, right? right? And this is what creates entrepreneurs. Like at some point you're like, you know what? I don't like that organizations are, constitutionally mm-hmm. dishonest with themselves about what they actually want and the same is true with relationships like you know friendships or otherwise like I've had a lot of people that are like I like it's got a great energy but what they end up doing is just you know bludgeoning me with the language of de- defeatist language we can't mm-hmm. this is never blah 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 and I'm like man stop it <laughs> it's not me right right I've had right I've this the same thing my whole life you know um I've got you know, like I got talk about my dad, you know, my dad is convinced I'm an idiot, which I just think is hilarious. Um, but that has actually informed a lot of confidence because there ain't no change in his mind. Like from his perspective, I'm just the biggest moron ever and I'm okay to play that game. I don't care. Right. So, you know, maybe it's just like you talked about, you have your own history that got you here. Likewise with me, you know, I've got a lot of members of my family that just think I'm a big idiot and I'm okay with that. I got a big self-confidence. So, you know, I don't, I don't need to change their mind on that matter. But this is the thing mm-hmm. you talked about this week about freeing up that space. Like, I don't need to hold that space for them. All they were doing was holding me hostage. And I, I don't, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that's not the job I do. I'm here to, to affect change. Uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs>
2: right? So, you know. Well, and-, and don't, don't limit me. <laughs>
1: you know, well, but, but, but it's also um, having an appreciation that all kinds of uh, elements are necessary for this shared vision of a future, you know, not Uh everybody's going to be walking lockstep at the same time for the same outcome. Uh We have to allow for the emergence. And it goes back to that complexity and understanding that people have, you know, they've locked into a certain trauma pattern or they've uh, believed some story they were given about their capacity. And there's, and that's why I was talking about learning and unlearning at the same time. We're all doing that constantly. You know yeah. that, that we yeah. we something will trigger will be put into some circumstance, and all of a sudden we're like, wait, wait, am I that person or am I this person? Yeah, and and we need the support to be able to to talk it out, to kind yeah. of take it apart.
0: Well, well, this is this is actually a pretty good conclusion on this this discussion because I, I want to get out there, and walk to your house, we can go have some tamales or something, but you know. <laughs> something I hadn't considered, but it is good to talk about is, you know, we always, I always joke about find your Ruth, which is, or find your Trudy, like someone that's, you know, not basically trying to put rocks in your pockets and push you into the water. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, don't, I mean, I don't know what to say about this. There's going to be people that are around you that will tell you that you can't do something. I don't know, man, maybe I'm just insubordinate, but I don't take that counsel very well. I don't, I don't believe people have they don't have the chops to tell me what I can or can't do. They typically, it's not informed by enough wisdom for them to say it in the first place. Right. So, right. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, maybe I'm just constitutionally insubordinate. What I do like about working with particularly older women is they totally get that right. They've had an entire life of people, typically men telling them they just can't do it and they're over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? like they've got their fill, and they're, and the, they're okay. Just, you know, politely nodding their head and then they just go do it anyway. So, you know, uh there's those people in your neighborhood they're they're not going to take no or they're not going to respond well to to to, you know limiting energy they usually just sidestep it and continue doing it anyway so um well
1: yeah and and i and i think that that's again as we started out in the beginning of this it's like we need to invite in the irritant to uh to to stress test the vision you uh-huh. know, and that's what being anti-fragile is. It's like, you're like, bring it on, bring it in and right. be accountable for it. You're not just throwing some bottle rocket in there and running away. It's saying yeah. stay present to what you instigate.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I, it's important to acknowledge something that I said earlier in, in the in the discussion. I'm not looking for people to just follow me around and say, yay, Kent, good job. That's not at all. That's actually mm-hmm. a disaster. I, I talked about hiring Frank. Frank didn't tell me no, but he was telling me that you can't do everything this week. And as you joke, I'm the executioner, man. I'm all about getting things mm-hmm. done. What was good about Frank is that he contributed to a shared wisdom, right? What it was is Kent, those are all really good ideas, some better than others, which is him being diplomatic, right? Yes. <laughs> like, you know, but but help me figure out which what which ones we're not going to do this week, because we only have the resources to do 10. And so this is a good example of that alchemy, that, that, that Iini, that sort of in between place between mm-hmm. activating and limiting energy. It makes me think about brings to mind a essay I wrote on medium talking about the rock tumbler as metaphor is that, you mm-hmm. know, you put my grandparents would, you know, hold my hand and talk to me about nature and we would pick up rocks and then we put them in the rock tumbler for a couple of months. And what came out looked like, looked like jewelry, right? But they mm-hmm. couldn't have done it without one another. They couldn't have done it without the aggregate. You gotta have that. Right. So, you know, as much as I say, I I don't, I don't like having that limiting energy. I do bring it forward. I do bring it around me and I expect them to deliver it with truth because I have to know what's realistic. I got to know what's real. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's a lot of what Trudy and I do in terms of that collaboration. She, she similar to the Frank thing. She's not limiting, but she tells me is what's realistic and what's truthful and it's not comfortable, but it's what I need. Right. So it's a, you know, good, a good example of a team.
1: Well, and, and, and it's better to address it when it's a pebble in your shoe than it is a boulder falling on your head. You know, it's mm-hmm. like Your lesson is the same. It can be gentle or it can be brutal. Right. And it's it's always best to lean into the gentleness of it right. and, um, and to then share that experience with others.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Well, I guess that's about it. I mean, I could talk about this stuff. We are literally going to talk about it when I come to I'm just going to walk to your house. Is that cool?
1: Okay. Yes. That'll be great. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, I'll see you pretty soon. Okay. Uh, go get tamales. I ate all the tamales you brought over. Sorry. Not sorry.
1: Uh, well, you know, Merry Christmas. <laughs>
0: all right. I'll see you pretty soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Cheers.